Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, Episode 91, Walk the Talk. Okay, we've detoured a bit away from the R versus should problem, although we spent a good 50 episodes talking about what that is, so certainly it remains a backbone of what we're talking about. And as I um, sort of approach 100 episodes, uh, I have a, some big news coming about a, uh, some future plans after episode 100, and uh, don't worry, I'll continue to support Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom and my weekly blogs and podcasts, YouTube posts, but I have something big planned, and I'll let you know about that as the next few episodes pass. And so the content for the last episodes are sort of things I want to tie up, maybe a little bit of the shadow value stuff uh, that we mentioned before, sort of the darker things that maybe not might not be so obvious, and... This is a good segue into that, I think, uh, talking about walk the talk. Walk the talk is one of those things that my dad used to say that bugged the crap out of me. And as we know, as we get older and we look back on things, the things that pissed us off when we were teenagers, especially us men that heard these things from our dads, they end up sounding a lot truer than we thought they did at the time. And it would really annoy me when my dad would sort of say, you got to walk the talk, because what this implied is, of course, I was not walking the talk. And in this his case, the talk was generally something he had said. <laughs> uh, for example, it's easier to get a job when you have a job. And so walking the talk in that case would be like, you don't just, if you quit a job and walked away from it and had nothing else lined up, then you were not walking the talk. Uh, the talk being his advice that it's easier to get a job when you have a job. And that is very true. And of course, some of the other examples escape me right now, but I think you get the point. If you're going to tell someone else to do something or how to live or rules to follow or ideals to adhere to, then you sure as hell better be doing those things yourself or you are a hypocrite. And so maybe the walk the talk is more about hypocrisy than anything. What's interesting, in a little bit of brief research I did just a few minutes ago prior to um, recording this, was originally, you know, I don't know about originally, but a long time ago, um, Aristotle, I think, or Socrates or Plato or one of those Greek philosophers referred to uh, walking the talk as what they would do when they would philosophize. They would get together and they would go for a walk and they would talk during that walk and sort of you know, get these things out in the open. This, why are we here? What is the meaning of life? What is God? You know, that would be the talking on the walk was the practice of philosophizing, which is pretty interesting. It would make a great name for a podcast like this, an alternative name for knowledge plus experience equals wisdom, maybe. Um, but the point is, it didn't always mean what we think it means today. And, and, and of course, today, walk the talk is sort of a paraphrasing of if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk, right? There's a longer version of this. So really that is about hypocrisy, right? It's like you can't you can't say this one thing and then not do that one thing in your life. You can't say it's important to be monogamous and then be, you know, uh, a, a cheater or adulterer or whatever. You can't say it's good to take care of the poor and then you know, not give not be philanthropic in any way or or, or Maybe that's yeah, that's a fine example, I guess. Uh, and for me, it was usually a, it was a it was another form of scolding, right? It wasn't an outright saying you're doing something wrong. It was saying, well, you got to walk the talk. Sort of like it's up to you. You have a problem. You've come to me with your problem. 
this is my dad speaking. And uh, the advice I'm going to give you is that you you need to figure out your own problem. (laughs) That's like put it back on you, which is kind of like a Yoda thing to do, maybe, right? It's a, this is not my, this is yours to figure out. You know, my help to you is, in fact, going to be disguised as a passing of the buck back to you. Which is funny because another thing my dad used to always say is free is free advice is worth what you pay for it, uh, which is kind of interesting. You know, why would you tell somebody to walk the talk? You know, it could be you're avoiding having to have any input. You know, again, you're putting the problem back on the person and avoiding you actually doing any help. But maybe that's the single best thing you can do. And uh, when I've thought about this, uh, well, and I, <clears throat> I have referred to this saying, as we all do, many of us do this with our parents, like, oh, yeah, this is mom's story number seven dash five. You know, so you hear the same things over and over again. So I heard this a lot, and I will refer to it a lot in my adult life. If you have my dad always used to say, you got to walk the talk. And I think the context that I feel it most frequently coming up in my life is when I'm trying to make a decision or I'm thinking about maybe the right thing to do or something that I want to do as a precursor to analysis paralysis, when I'm just sort of, you know, trying to make a decision or trying to figure something out, I'll think, you know, well, what do I want to do here? And the walk the talk applies there because it's sort of like my values. If I know what my values are and I'm trying to figure out what walk I want to do, all I have to do is refer to my set of values and say, well, what does my talk say that I would do here? It's sort of like if I feel like, I'm a good person. I want to do the things that a good person would do. Well, what things would a good person do? For example, uh, a benign example that came up on um, the Armchair Expert podcast recently, just because it's an example in my head, of do you put the grocery cart back when you're done shopping? Do you either just leave it sitting in an empty parking space? Do you push it back into the parking lot corral? Or do you even take it all the way back into the building? It's sort of like, what do you do? Well, what does your value system say about that, right? Are, well, what's the premise here? Um, I don't have to put it back because it's not my responsibility. It's somebody else's responsibility. Well, what does that say? Is that one of your values that the world is sort of here to cater to my needs and I'm not a participatory uh, active person in that and I, there's just I, I let everybody else take care of my slop? Like I don't clean up after myself. I don't take care of my own shit. Is that is that one of your values? And maybe it is. My value would be more along the lines of, you know, leave no foot, leave nothing but footprints and take nothing but pictures or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a burden to anybody. And some people may say, well, they pay parking lot attendants to do that, and that's their job. And if you do it, you're taking their job away. And I find that hard to believe. I imagine their jobs suck bad enough that uh, having a cart to pick up is not s- sort of like driving the goodness factor of their day. They'd much rather not do it than do it. They've probably got plenty of other things to do. Uh, Even though it probably is nice on a really sunny, warm day to take a break and go outside, um, you know, pulling a cart out of an empty parking space and putting it in a corral and bringing it back into the building might not be the best use of anyone's time, regardless of their job. Uh, And so if I'm using the cart and I'm done with it, to me, I I ought to put it back where I found it, right? I should push it all the way back into the building put it right back in the cart. That's the simplest play, way thing to do because most people are going to walk in and pick it up and go shopping. They're, that's where they're going to get one. Most people don't pull a cart out of the parking lot corral. You know, that's up to... Anyway, that's a long way to go. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But that's an example of sort of... I'm just the kind of person that wants to leave no uh, trace or, or whatever and, and, and leave the world like I found it. And so... 
I'm probably going to walk that walk because that's the talk that's in my head. I'm trying to think of another thing. Like I, I don't like, this is one that could go both ways for a lot of people, beggars or, or panhandlers on the side of the street. It's something we see even in small town Abingdon a lot more than we used to. And I sort of believe that because I've heard a lot of these stories and I've, I've seen some firsthand evidence of this, that these people are not necessarily reflect whatever their sign says and they're not exactly as needy as they may say and actually this panhandling thing is it's kind of a job and it's a pretty lucrative one and i don't like it because again the the sort of the sort of false pretenses right if somebody's just saying hey look i don't feel like x y and z and would you give me some money to sort of fund my lifestyle um, while i'm sitting here smoking a five dollar pack of cigarettes or, or whatever that's that's fine but just just don't just don't cover it up with um, you know, needy or veteran or, or whatever it is that you think you've got to pull at my heartstrings. Like, so I, anyway, I've made the decision in my life that I'm not going to do that because I think the majority of the time the money won't go to good use. And I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, but that's different from somebody who really demonstrates some sort of, um, honor, uh, honest need and uh, has a little bit of humility about asking to borrow money because I think it is humiliating to have to ask to borrow money. And that would be different. I, I think I would have a different attitude. But the specific thing with the pain, and you may have a different attitude. You may think every time I see somebody like that, I'm going to assume the best and I'm going to give them money. But I see it and I, and I don't give them money. I generally uh, don't. I got to walk the talk uh, because my talk is that I think this is a scam and I'm not going to support a scam because I, then I'm an enabler in this whole system that doesn't do anybody any good because then the next person thinks, oh, maybe I can do this too. And I can avoid responsibility for my life. Again, my assumption may not be the truth. Lots of uh, other examples um, in walking your talks. And, and, and I know when I'm doing it now, unfortunately, this is kind of maybe a potentially negative side effect of doing your values work. I sort of understand my talk. When I really get into trouble, and I'm thinking about doing an entire episode on this, but uh, and it will be a topic of discussion for my new project for sure uh, is the idea that I I believe that sort of we're all connected, right? I have this just feeling that we're both individuals and we are also the whole of the thing. And and we come from the same molecules, the same energy follows through us. And for whatever reason, it takes on this individual form, but there's also, you know, married into that in a very, um, you know, dovetail joint yin yang kind of way. We are simultaneously individuals and a part of this community, and we're connected. and And so, just this couple of weeks ago, I was at a soccer game for my third <clears throat> daughter. And just to try to summarize this sort of situation, I was never a team sports kind of guy. In fact, I got picked on a lot by those people, and I got a lot of negative energy from those people. I got bullied by those people. I just not did not have a good vibe for um, the, the kids and the families that participated in organized sports while I was growing up. And I did a little bit of it, but I was just, either it was something inherent to me, maybe I was doing something wrong and I was being separatist or not being a team player. I just didn't meld with me. I got a lot of negative energy about it. And it just hasn't been my thing. Now, I don't go around bad talking sports. And I just, I just, it's not my thing. And I don't watch them. I don't follow them. And I often say, I really like the sports. It's the participants that bother me. It's the fans, you know, it's the parents, it's the kids that are assholes. 
about competition. Uh, I just that's that doesn't feel good for me, and so I haven't necessarily avoided it in my life. I just I certainly have not pursued it. And luckily, my first two kids were not really into it, and they did dance, and that was a much more comfortable thing for me. I I I wasn't wasn't in my wheelhouse ballet, but I could participate in it because I didn't have this history. I have a history with organized sports that's uncomfortable. So my third daughter is a big soccer player. Going to her games is weird to me because I don't really understand. I don't know how long a period is. I don't know what to expect. I don't know about teams sitting on certain sides. I just didn't come up with it. It's not in my vernacular, and and it's something I have to learn. And I feel like all the other people there just it's just like church. They all know what's going on, and I don't. And they're not very welcoming because everybody assumes everybody loves this. And to make it all worse, and probably the the actual thing that's bad, that would all be fine in and of itself. I don't mind being an outcast. I don't mind looking like an idiot. I don't mind not knowing what to do. I don't mind, you know, sitting on the visitor side instead of the home team side or what. I don't mind cheering for the other team when they get a goal because I think that's cool too. That stuff doesn't bother me. Uh, In fact, it's kind of fun. I like watching my daughter play. What gets me is this is my ex-wife's thing, right? It's kind of a weird thing. And in some ways, I kind of feel like my daughter is is you know trying to get some attention from her and so they're doing it but it's a big they get the rules her and her her new husband and her f- uh, family and parents and all they get it they came up in this and these high school sports uh, are are mean a lot to them as they do to many people uh, certainly in in the United States of America it's a rite of passage it's a thing people do it's it's entertaining it's all of it they don't mind they buy the jerseys they buy the special seats they buy the whole thing and and, and again it's foreign to me and I'm not judging, um, but it just it feels bad. And so <clears throat> one of my sort of shadow uh, problems, or it's a, maybe it's a, a shadow value of sorts, but something that I do that I don't like about myself that I don't advertise and, and don't talk about is I can be pretentious because I, you know, a shadow value I have is that I am special or I am unique or I am even better than other people, smarter, whatever it is. Now, I don't run around thinking I've got a silver spoon up my nose or, you know, that I fart rainbows. No, but I do sort of generally think that maybe I'm more intelligent or something. And what I've learned is this is a defense mechanism and in, in, in IFS, Internal Family Systems, speak. I have a part that when I was getting picked on as a kid, eight, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid, 10 up through teenage years, I developed a strategy that says, when people pick on me, I feel like nothing. I feel like I have no value. I feel worthless. I feel less than. I feel like I don't belong here. And in order to fight that feeling, I had to come up with a story that this part did that said, no, 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 actually, these people are the ones that have the problem, which has got, there's some truth to it. They probably have some other problems in their lives that have nothing to do with me, but it's why they pick on me. But what I told, the story I told myself that worked and calmed me down was that actually I'm better than them. Uh, it's sort of like when you say, oh, they're just jealous, right? I came up with this meaningful story uh, that made me feel better, that made the pain go away, that allowed me to sort of not ride that slippery slope to depression, the thinking that I'm worse than them for some reason, but that, in fact, they were worse than me. If somebody, if I, you know, it wasn't a bad choice, really, because it worked. It got me through the day. It, 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 it found me peace. It found me solace. It found me comfort within myself to sort of say... No, I'm not bad. I'm not a bad person. That's the positive end result. The negative end result is I walk around thinking I'm better than other people. 
And I realize that at these soccer games because I go through this same thing. It's like my, I'm an eight-year-old kid again. I'm going, I'm going to get picked on. I'm going to get bullied. I don't belong here. What do I do in order to make sense of this environment? And the, what do I do is I go, oh, these people are just, they're beneath me. And this is not, a, a, a pro, I'm not proud to say this at all. It's just, but I'm also compassionate with myself because I understand why I do it. But my wife has helped me realize that this is a completely hypocritical thing for me. And I've done some IFS work to sort of meet these parts and understand them and try to um, uh, help them understand that we don't need this strategy anymore. As much as it has worked for us most of our lives, it's time to sort of walk the talk, right? My talk being that I feel like we're all connected. And so my new challenge related to walk the talk and sort of the purpose of the upcoming episodes a little bit more is to get into this idea is how do I now teach myself to actually connect with these people that I was so ready to be above or to be better than or or that I considered beneath me, right? The first step is understanding what I was doing. And understanding that there actually isn't any scientific basis in this decision and that it was merely done completely outside the context of who I am or who these people are, but was was a mechanism that I came up with to get me out of danger and to find some safety. You know, it's like the the, the schooling fish that separates from the group that doesn't know what to do and finds a rock to hide behind. You know, it's that sort of... Um, and, and I forgive myself for that. And I think other people will forgive myself for that. I forgive other people for doing the similar things that they've done. Like the people that bully me that don't really understand. Maybe it makes them feel more like a group of sports fans to laugh at me for sitting on the wrong side. You know, I can understand that. I don't expect them to inaugurate me into the soccer fan thing and understand that I don't know what's going on. I don't really care about any of that. In fact, I'm, I've I've taught myself to sort of let go of the past and sort of understand that these people don't mean me any harm, like some bullies in the past did. And I don't need to insert this pretentious feeling in order to make myself feel better about it anymore. I don't have to do that. And then tertiarily, after all that's said and done, and I I got to address the fact that that behavior that I was doing that protected myself and did have a purpose and was working and is a very honorable thing that I learned how to do and amazing at deadening my pain, in fact, conflicts with one of my core values, which is connectedness. And so it's it's a curious experience or idea to me to how do I figure out how to connect with people that are representatives, if you will, or members of groups that have hurt me in the past, right? Um, That's a huge step. That's a huge leap. And all I can do right now is just sort of see that it's a thing. And uh, I've talked about this before in other episodes. One of the big ones that gets me is uh, these trucks around here that are like 15 feet off the ground and each tire is like $1,500 and they're giant. and And what gets me is they're loud, they have these loud mufflers, I guess, on them that just rumble down the road, and they they love to accelerate really fast by you. And when this happens to me, and it's unlike any other car on the road because most cars on the road have mufflers to keep the motor quiet to make driving safer, so I don't understand how this is even allowed. Um, and what it does to me when I get this loud rumbling of something rolling past me fast and aggressively like that is it triggers the fight 
full-on fight response. I want to pull that guy out of the car and you know, pummel him to the extent that I have the capacity to do that. That's exactly how I feel. And part of that is my misophonia with loud noises, but part of it is just annoyance at that feeling. So, you know, I talk about that, how that's annoying. And what I would like to do in this case is, again, if I want to walk the talk, I'm much more of a pacifist than a violent person. I don't believe that's going to solve anything. And it certainly might make me feel better for a second, but then there's going to be the pain to deal with, the fact that I could get my ass kicked, you know, so many not good things about that. And even in a perfect world scenario where I do that and I'm victorious and I don't have any pain and the guy's lying on the side of the road hurt, I'm going to feel bad about it. <laughs> so I'm not, it's not the solution to my problem. The solution to my problem is cohesion between me wanting to be able to find a way to feel connected to that person. I get it why people will resist the philosophical belief that we are all connected, because how could you possibly be connected to someone that annoys you to that extent? How could a Trump supporter be connected to a, a libtard? You know, how could um, 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 uh, uh, a, a, a trans person be connected to a, a, a religious doctrine Christian that believes that homosexuality or any of that is wrong? Um, and I'm not trying to equate being trans with homosexuality. That's just a bad example, but. I get it. There's a lot of polarized opposition here. But I fully believe that the key to that is to realize the error of your ways. And, 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 and I think, like my journey, and again, I'll talk about this again maybe in a dedicated episode um, or perhaps as part of the new project or both. Uh, we all have these protectionist mechanisms, these fears, these, um, these knee-jerk fight responses to certain people, ideals, things, and values, and behaviors, right? We all do it. We all, certain things can all set us off. Um, And we associate those things with a person or a belief system or a model, right? Uh, And something we can pinpoint. And and there's no better example now than vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and Trump supporters and non-Trump supporters or whatever, there's a lot of this polarity that's pretty easy to sort of say, how am I possibly going to make peace with how I feel? How can I flip this? <laughs> but I think we all can see the idea that, well, yeah, if you if you gave me a pill that said I wouldn't look at every, you know, uh, um, universal basic income supporting libtard, you know, if I could look at them and not feel like I wanted to punch them in the mouth every day, yeah, I'll take that pill. But I'm not going to believe what they believe. You know, nobody's asking you to do that. <clears throat> I think the pattern is going to look a lot like mine, where we realize that our belief systems are linked to certain parts of our past. Some of these links are based in protectionist fears that may not exactly reflect the people or the values of the beliefs that we're targeting, right? And that we might actually have other beliefs that conflict with those things, like walking the talk. And so I think if we all could get a hold of our value systems and sort of had those well-defined in a dynamic way because they do change as we age and sort of had our finger on the pulse of those things. And then we could filter our life experiences using those things and sort of go, okay, how is this thing that I'm feeling now? Agree or disagree with these? Ooh, there's there's a conflict there. Okay, what's going on? Am I walking the talk? No. Okay, maybe this is a behavior I need to work on. Just like I did, because I think what we're going to do is we're, we're going to find not only are there things in our lives that we really strongly believe talk, 
that we're not really doing the walk in life. And we want to fix that, right? We want to, obviously. We don't want to be hypocritical. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. And so that needs to happen. And I think in that sort of process of work, we might actually realize that some of the other things that we talk about or some of the things that we walk don't match up with the talk and some of the things that we talk don't match up with the walk. And then some of that maybe we need to think about. Maybe we need to understand why we do this. Why is there a conflict? Why is there a disagreement? And how do I figure this out so that there is more cohesion, more integration of the walking and the talking in our lives? And So I think, I think walk the talk is a pretty good thing to monitor your behavior with and your conversations in your head. And I think it can be an incredibly useful tool, not only in increasing the integrity with which you live, decreasing hypocrisy, but also helping you figure out your values, helping you rethink things and make the changes that we make as we go through these distinct stages of uh, being a human being. And so I got to hand it to my dad. Maybe he didn't know what he was talking about, but he was really onto something. And maybe it took me 40 years to come full circle and figure out exactly what the hell he was saying, but I would rather figure it out in this lifetime than not, right? And so I invite you, if you, um, if you start to do things like meditate and journal and maybe even do yoga, even regular exercise and eating writing, coming in or getting into small incremental habitual changes, one of the things you will notice is that your behaviors become less automatic. And when you get this sort of glimpse of yourself from an observer perspective, doing something like me at the soccer game going, why are you being such an asshole right now? That's a new thing, right? That's an opportunity to then look at what you're doing, ask yourself the question about whether or not this is something you want to be doing, think about what you're doing, does this walk line up with the talk, and what does this mean, and do I want to change it? I mean, it's a beautiful uh, analytical tool for moving your way to being a better human being. And uh, hopefully you're picking up when I'm laying down. That was uh, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, Episode 91, Walk the Talk. I'm Chris Bircher, and I'll see you guys next week. Take it easy.